Alan, it is, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, welcome to the Sales Transformation Podcast. And uh, before uh, I'll ask you to say a few words, perhaps, uh, I just want to say that the way we um, came to schedule on to, uh, you onto the podcast is slightly unusual. Um, I, I think that uh, you sent me a LinkedIn message talking about a particular opportunity you closed and you wanted to share a little bit of the story on the podcast, which uh, which is great. Um, but uh, so, Alan, uh, really welcome. It's super to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So um, what we normally do, Alan, uh, on the Sales Transformation Podcast, you probably know, is we, we ask you, first of all, maybe to share a little bit about your background. Uh, so possibly people can already recognize from your accent. Uh, you may be from the Southern Hemisphere, but I'll, I'll hand over to you, Alan, to, to kind of introduce yourself, if, if we could. Excellent. No worries. So my name is Alan Fustier, as if you're clearing your throat, but most people say <laughs> Alan Fustig, or to keep it simple, Alan V. Um, I'm based in Johannesburg, South Africa, and very brief backstory, I started out engineering, actually studied electronic engineering. It wasn't my fault. I watched Airwolf, Knight Rider, and MacGyver, and uh, coming from Dutch <laughs> heritage, we have to be engineers, so um, it's where I landed up, and then I'd studied that, and I was doing it, and about two years in, I read a book called You're Born an Original, Don't Die a Copy, and the premise was if you if you really hate what you're doing for more than two weeks, you should probably stop. And I was like, man, I've, I've been true to this journey, but it's been two years in and I'm not enjoying it. And a friend of mine then said, why don't you perhaps go into sales? And I thought, well, yeah, let, let me go try that out. And uh, Phil, I ask your listeners not to drop off the call now, but got fired from my first four sales jobs. And it was hugely frustrating because I did okay. everything they told me to do. Right? They said, you got to know your product. And I became the world's most accurate talking brochure. And then they said, you, Al, you ought to be more motivated. And then I became the most, exci most excited world's best talking brochure. But I wasn't getting sales. And as an engineer, I, I couldn't understand it because I, I, don't, I don't believe you're born a certain way. I believe there's cause and effect and we can hone a certain skill. And I was frustrated. But I remember working under a manager who said these words and says, Al, is uh, sales your career or just a job? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, how hard did you study to be an electronic engineer? I said, no, I studied really hard. And he said, how much investment did you make into that? I said, I made a significant investment. He says, okay, tell me about selling. And I kind of knew where he was leading, but he said, oh, you know, this is a profession. And sales, and I forget who said this quote, but sales is, you know, it's not like Olympic athletes train a lifetime for a moment's glory. And salespeople think they can train for a moment and get a lifetime's glory, and they can't. The day you treat this as a profession, everything will change, and I'm happy to help you. And then he coached and supported me and eventually got really good at selling, eventually had a license for a methodology here in Africa, and then eventually got the realization that, you know, that wisdom that I got from that sales manager was actually the key differentiator in sales. That without an investment in sales management, no amount of training, no amount of consulting, no amount of um, technology or enablement, there's any sustainable impact. And partly our, our, our worlds then crossed paths, Philip, as we're working collectively on different spheres of sales management development, mm -hmm. so with that shared passion of the critical importance of um, educating that profession. One of the toughest professions in the world, and generally, we take top performers, we move them up, we don't educate them. So that's me, that's Growth Matters in a very short nutshell. So you're now, um, you're now the um, uh, Director of Growth Matters, uh, yeah, a company based in 
Johannesburg, South Africa, but I believe that you work with uh, your clients all over the world. It's not just South Africa that you, you, you know, you have your sphere of influence. You do quite a lot of international travel with that as well. Yes. Yeah. So we train companies around the globe. Effectively, the key thing is to get us their, their default sales management development program and then blessed to travel. Obviously, when COVID hit, a little bit of a concern is about what do we do now? But rebuild the content from the ground up so we can deliver virtually. And then I think some of the exciting things now, Phil, is we can sell virtually. I don't always have to be in territory to be selling to a large global organization. Yeah. Um, and as long as we have a yeah. growth mindset and we adapt, we can leverage the changes that come our way. Yeah, so I I remember we were introduced in London um, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, I think it was the first time by Samantha Vessels, who uh, we had met at the Women in Sales Awards that were um, hosted in, in, in London. Uh, she wasn't the recipient of the award, but um, she was there, you know, as, as, as part of the audience. And um, uh, she'd not long, I don't think, been in London. So she'd sort of brought her family over from South Africa. And um, it was clear that, uh, you know, Samantha, you know, had a lot of confidence, a lot of self-belief, uh, was doing quite an interesting role in NTT data at the time. And um, and she said, yeah, I think you should meet Alan. And so um, I think we, we met uh, we met for a coffee all those years ago. And uh, we've we've kept in contact since then, I guess, more through LinkedIn than anything else. But then suddenly out of the blue, uh, you sort of uh, reached out uh, very generously, I have to say, and uh, wanted to share a particular story. And uh, around it, I guess, it's supporting the kind of philosophy you have and from your experience of what works and doesn't work in sales, uh, which perhaps we can uh, we can talk about. Um, can I just go back though to your um, to your early history in sales? I mean, to be fired from your first four sales jobs is is quite an achievement, I would say, <laughs> sort of, uh, fairly early on. But but um, I, I guess uh, you had seen enough of sales at the time not to be put off with that. Is that is that correct? I mean, you still felt that you wanted to succeed in sales. I mean to. To be fired once is is something, but you know, for yeah. it to be repeated. So, I, I, you know, what was it that captured your imagination in those early days, and what 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 made you persist? I think I mean, there's twofold. So there was a lot of pressure. I mean, I understand. I, I came from a family of engineers. I my father had passed away, unfortunately, but I had three sisters and a mom that were very proud that I was an engineer. And you know, Hollywood doesn't do a great job of presenting the sales profession. Right, So yeah. it wasn't like everyone was rooting for me in that space. But I think what really held my attention is with electronic engineering, I could find predictability. And with human beings, I couldn't. <laughs> and the engineering yeah. me was very curious and was going, what, what is it actually? I could see people performing. I could see certain behaviors, but I was trying to get to the, the essence of it right, and really understand it. And I think it's that curiosity that really led me forward. And then when you start operating from a noble mindset and realizing that it's not this Hollywood portrayal, it's, you know, that it's selling with noble purpose and, and driving a noble purpose, then I start to see the ability for me to be authentic, be myself and be a professional that allowed me to pursue it. And then the success yeah. was quite rapid once I'd, I'd kind of triggered that shift in my own mindset. Um, but it was, I think, just the curious nature of my mind that was going, what's, what's sitting behind this? Because, I, you know, it's got to be cause and effect. There's got to be some stuff that, that we can do here. 
And unfortunately, a lot of the common knowledge or common wisdom wasn't actually practical, isn't what makes the difference in sales. And yet it's now, you know, 25 years after that experience, and I still see, and while I love your work, Phil, there's so many organizations are still trapped in that, you know, that baseline competency model. They're not realizing that it values trump value. And if you have a values-centered approach, then value becomes something you create almost automatically. Um, mm. And that's part of the reason I reached out is, you know, I, I saw in your work and in your book, you know, this, this passionate engineering of cultures that support values that result in a, a real noble profession of selling as opposed to this very operational production line, only numbers-based approach. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's really interesting that, um, you know, that you picked up on it. And I, I have to say that when I first started this uh, kind of interest in in the doctorate, um, perhaps a bit like you in the early stages, earlier stages of my sales career, you know, I'd been trained in a certain mindset and a certain way of thinking about what good looks like in sales. And it was very much around sort of um, sort of a behavioral approach to sales, I guess. And um, it, 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 you know, once I'd started to kind of look at this area of values and what drives behavior and seeing it through the lens of what customers, you know, were looking for, it was kind of opened up a, a completely new area. And it, it's, it seems blindingly obvious, you know, when it's kind of spelt out. But I have to say it's been an incredibly, it's been incredibly difficult to get this shift from this process method kind of approach to sales effectiveness to a more of values-led approach, which um, which I guess has kind of surprised me. So when I get people who are in my sector, who've got things like your experience, you know, you've worked with clients around the world, sort of picking up the phone and saying, Phil, it's really interesting, you know, and it's had this effect on what you do. I, I tell you, it's, it was it was really nice to get that message <laughs> on LinkedIn because uh, in, the, in the academic world, it's still very much a competency-based mindset and framework, even the, the research that they do. And, you know, you often see so many senior sales leaders think they're, you know, basing their thoughts on how to increase sales productivity on a system of thinking that, that frankly isn't, isn't right in my view, and I, I, I think this is uh, this is why I think uh, when you reached out to me, it was it was just so interesting. Can I ask you a question? When when you first started to reflect on this values led, noble kind of purpose led approach, um, what was it that for you started to make things sort of click together? You know what what. What made you think actually that's interesting? I'll look more into it. Yeah, I think there's two parts. That one is I value research, right? So I'm I'm not a big person who just follows the next okay. opinion or the next trend. I, I love research, and the research that you did was reinforcing what I was seeing working for me. And I have a mindset that says selling won't help, but helping will sell, right? And the reality is when we have a service oriented mindset, when we're trying to create value. We have all those things you talk about. You know, I'm tactful, I'm creative, I'm authentic, I'm customer-centric. There's a natural rapport that you start to build. And what we tend to see is manufactured approaches. Like my biggest frustration is people say it's all about relationships. And I'm going, 
Well, relationships are the reward for trust delivered. I mean, for value delivered. Where are you delivering the value? You can't wait until after the product lands. You ought to be delivering value in that journey. And unless you show up and don't rock up, you're not going to do that. The other big area was having sold methodologies, having worked with methodology companies, I still can't find a comprehensive case study of a significant shift of the sales bell curve um, on purely competency-based models. And the reality is because as you dig into this research, what we already know is quite obvious, we don't pay attention to, is competencies are the outcomes of repeated and coached actions. Competencies can't be developed in a classroom, right? And competencies are influenced by our, our value system. So if, if I don't believe that you know, I can bring value to a sales conversation, how much preparation am I going to do? Not going to be the case. Mm -hmm. If I've only got an organizational leadership that drives the quarterly numbers and treats us like a production line of human doings and not a collective of human beings, well, then we're not going to get that outcome we're looking for. So there was just a resonance with my approach. Um, and I'm not going to jump the gun right now, but well, that's what led into the story I wanted to share with you. Because when I was at the height of that, that journey, I walked into a massive opportunity in a large financial institution. And I said, I'm not singing this tune anymore. I've got to let them know they're going the wrong direction here. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to share with your, your, your listeners in a short while where that ended. But what tweaked me, Philip, is you, you, you were bold enough to swim against stream whilst taking on the academic approach of developing people. Um, but sometimes I feel your message was somehow, some people missed it, and it needs to be heard. Values trump value. And when you work on that and you create the right cultures and you recruit accordingly, you know, the results will take care of themselves. And I still mm. think there's a, people aren't seeing that. Um, and we're waiting for the next technology or the next methodology or the next thing. Instead of saying, how do we create an environment where people naturally aim to serve? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it would be um, it would be quite interesting to maybe go into the story that that um, that you had, and the uh, I'm really interested in the thought process that you went through um, that made you feel that you needed to challenge the client in the way that you did uh, about whether they'd written the RFP. I guess it was or or, or yeah. whatever it were, invitation to pitch in in the right way. Um, so, so Alan, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just explaining kind of the, you know, the situation the that you're in. Yeah, I will do. So let, let's start right at the beginning. I mean, our space as growth matters is sales management development. We believe yeah, that's our that's our primary niche. That's where we play. And this client then had opened up an RFP for a sales academy, and it's not the space we play. We don't we don't work at a sales professional level, unless it's through the sales managers. But something sat uneasy with me that I was watching a client that created value in for their managers go down a path that I'd seen not work in the past. And it's coming off the back of some of you reading some of the research, Phil, some of what I've experienced, and I thought, I, I need to voice something here. I need to um, be, and I, when you talk about authenticity in your research, I think people confuse authenticity with, you know, if you're a, a person who swears and you don't dress well and that's your case, well, just rock up like that. It's not that. It's authentic intent. And I had an authentic intent. And I thought, there's no massive gain in this for me, but I've got to have a challenger. And I walked in and we had the conversation. I said, I think your approach is fundamentally flawed because you're assuming that competencies are a lead factor when they're a lag factor. And I said, the precursor to a competency is actually influenced by how people think. 
and I used the David Rock iceberg model. If you've seen it, our thinking yeah. influences our emotions, influences our behaviors, influences results. And I said, if you're working at a, at a behavioral level and you're not understanding that we're not fixing whether our thinking is right, our value system is right. And I asked them questions. How many times in your history that you've been here and that the buyer had been there for 26 years, have you seen sales academies or been part of deploying sales academies that are competency orientated? And she said, Al, it's embarrassing if I gave you the answer. I said, well, there we go. It's not working. So then I went into explaining some of the research, drawing the iceberg, talking about we want to be, you know, tactful because I love I love the word you use, tactful, because I think tact is so important because people say mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. And I say, no, it's not a fine line. It's a big, wide, solid line, and it's called tact, the ability to influence some without damaging the relationship, right? And I spoke to those principles, and I said, you want to build an academy that is values-orientated, right? And that's where you want to be focusing. And at the end of the call, she said to me, this, this is the moment. She said, Alan, never have I seen someone sell something and at the same time demonstrate it. Now, I was, this is not conscious behavior on my side. Well, not at all. She said, let me explain something. This is where you use tact. This is where you used authentic intent. This is where you were creative on solutions. And the whole time, it felt like you were telling a story about the impact we we're trying to drive. It wasn't about your product services or offerings. Now, it didn't have to be because, you know, it wasn't my field of, or domain. But what she had seen in me was the four criteria that comes from Selling Transformed that drive value-led sale. Long story short, we got shortlisted. We pretty much didn't need to bid. We got the, the, the international business, five-year contract working with the sales managers. And we brought in a partner that understands financial services paradigm, and they're running with that academy. But the academy is called the, the, the School of Values. Um, and they're seeing a fundamental culture shift in the organization. Wow. And you remember, with financial institutions, it's tricky because the brain is so wired for procedural process thinking because of legislation and compliance and all of these different things that you know even the concept of a sales academy was was new to them. But the fact that there was this values approach tied in with the persona banks are trying to create or financial institutions are trying to create in the market. And I'll say it this way. You know, there's this thing going around nowadays called human-to-human -human selling, and I'm going, come on, are you kidding me that you're waking up to this now? It's always human-to-human. Mm. -human. And what I love about the values approach is when we when we show up with those values, and there's a, there's a lady by the name Lisa Earl McLeod. She wrote the book Selling with Noble Purpose. Yeah. And she says, making yeah. a living and making a, different, a difference do not have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, top performers that sell with noble purpose don't need to worry about their methodology, their tonality, or their body language because their intent shines through. And that's just mm. tied in so well with the work you're done for. And that I've then seen, I've never seen someone say to me, Al, you just demonstrated these four things that you just sold. So it was a moment for me that I thought the credit actually belonged to you and I wanted to make sure that, that I shared that with you. It's, well, it is an amazing it, it is an amazing story, and um, I, I wonder if I could sort of unravel a little bit um, the journey you took here, because I think that if you start to look at the strategy you took with this particular client, clearly you're in a competitive um, bid situation, you know, right yes. at the very beginning, uh, and you knew you're up against, I think, some of the big global brands, you know, in 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 this particular project. Um, and, um, the person that, that you were dealing with, was, was this over zoom? Was this a kind of zoom conversation that you had with her? Was it in person? It, it, it the, the initial conversation started with zoom. 
the presentation where I showed the iceberg. There were about six people in the room, and that was a live presentation. Uh, then we had a few okay. more Zooms, and then we had some buying sessions. Um, yeah, so there was there was a, a, a mix. It was kind of high. A series of interventions. Okay. Yeah. So at what point did you feel, or didn't it come into your thinking, that maybe uh, this person would be open to the idea of being challenged? My view is this. What what sat with my value system, Philip, was it would be borderline negligent for me not to challenge his thinking. If yeah. I am authentic of my intent, it would be negligent for allow this road to continue. I wasn't thinking, how do I dislodge the competitors? What's my competitive advantage? How am I differentiating? It actually wasn't that. It was a it was I, I, it would be negligent to not have this conversation yeah. and, and and let's say I win the business and take their money and offer them a solution that I know is not going to drive a significantly different change to what the other competitors offer. So it was that it was that sincere view of it is my responsibility as someone who understands this deeply to educate my customer out of their own ignorance. And I've got to do mm. that tactfully. I've got to do that with authentic intent. I've got to do that with creative yeah. solutions because no one knew what this was going to look like. We didn't have the name then. We didn't yeah. have anything. It was just that, that creativity of co-creating. But everything they sensed was customer-centric, and it started because it would be negligent if I didn't have that conversation. It wasn't, hey, how do I go challenge them? It was, it would be negligent for me not to. And if you just yeah. think about it from a doctor, any professional, for a lawyer to just let you go your way for because you've decided that's the way you're going to handle the case is negligent yeah. of that lawyer. For a doctor for yeah. you to choose your own way and be negligent to, to not give you the, the, the full view, they're negligent in their profession. In sales, we just think, you know, well, if the ends justifies the means. It doesn't. Yeah, no, it's so interesting because this word intent that you've used, you know, quite a few times, and it, it was, um, it became very clear when I finally started to look at the data, you know, through through the different lens, is that, of course, what customers hear is and see, they observe behavior, but they're looking for intent. They're looking for what's the intent and to what extent is the intent of the selling organization helping me, going to help me, first of all, deal with the opportunity that we, we need to solve or the problem we need to solve. But also it's about predictability, because if I know that, that there are certain values that are hardwired in the way that you work, if there's a problem with something you, you're going to have a pretty good idea how this person is going to shape up and work with you to try and solve it. So um, it, it's it's really interesting. So it's, you've articulated it, I think, far better than I do. <laughs> I've done the research on it. You know, so it's really, really interesting for me to hear someone reframe a little bit what I've what I've been kind of talking about. Um, but 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 it's interesting because you talked about sales academy, but you've ended up not having a sales academy. Is that right? School school for values yeah. is is that the, school, the, school, the, the kind the, of whole the, branding? Yeah, school of values, and and the, the subline is the school establishing, yeah. establishing a culture of service led selling, um, and that's that's the strapline. Right, and and just for your audience, you know, any large complex sale, you know, one brand has fifty two divisions inside that brand. So there's a continuous ongoing journey of selling the same, you know, the same process and the same things. But, you know, Phil, you say it so well. Once again, I think people miss it. 
No one ends a sales call with someone and says, my word, Alan has great negotiation skills. Or my word, Alan is really a great communicator. Or my word, Alan's quite useless at product knowledge. They don't talk about that. They talk about how they felt. And if you look at your research, right, yeah. the manipulative, the arrogant, the, 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 the supplier centric, mm. I would argue that no salesperson goes out and says, let me be those things. But because they're not thinking that through, they're coming across that way. And they think they have a behavioral problem, but they don't. Someone's interrogating their character. And we don't realize this. I think there's phenomenal. I think there's thousands of sales professionals out there that could be 10x to where they are right now. If they realize the challenge sits in a just shift of being intentional about your values. Don't say you're customer-centric because that's mm. missing the point. Demonstrate that. And through that journey, people resonate with you. And I think the point is this, is when you look at your research yeah. and 90% of the reason customers aren't engaged in the buying is because they're arrogant or they're, you know, they're, they're supply-centric or they're, you know, they're, they're not showing up as a professional. Yeah. All of those things, I don't think any sales professional goes out and says, let me be that. I think there's two things. The organizational environment sets it up as the norm. And I think the second key thing is yeah. they don't they think that intention is enough. Not intending to be that is not the same as engineering that into your conversation, which says, how do I be tactful? How do I be creative? How do I have authentic intent? And how do I demonstrate cl a, a client centricity? And when we're intentional about that, then everything starts to change. And what happens is we don't have to worry yeah. about all these other nuances of methodologies and languages because customers pick that up. You know, as human beings, we have a, a, a computer system that is thin slicing everything. And then I must worry about my body language and if I rub my nose at the wrong time or I'm not thinking about the customer. I'm thinking about what time to ask, which question, what's the right thing to say right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually up in my head. I'm not present. When we prepare, we present. Yeah. And if we prepare with those, those key values you taught, you see a change. And just some feedback from this client already of our first yeah. uh, uh, proof of concept case study, we're seeing phenomenal shifts in the sales numbers, phenomenal shifts in engagement. We have um, uh, the onboarding you know, graduates that are now keen to go into sales as a profession. These are wins for me because you know, I, I love the selling profession, but it's not doesn't get a good rep out in the world. <laughs> So interesting. So I'd, I'd, I'd um, you know, one of the questions we get asked, and it, I'd be interested to to hear what your point of view is on this, is, okay, we we know um, that values are really important. Let's say we accept the principle, the logic is overwhelmingly, you know, simple, and there's so much evidence, you know, to to back it up. How do I, how do I create a culture based on those values? How do I, as a manager, start to you know how does that influence my coaching how does it influence my leadership so i'm really interested to because i'm no doubt you've started to yeah. kind of work this through <laughs> in the way you've designed your your programs for managers so i'd be really interested to know what sort of things you're doing to um equip the managers with the yeah. you know with the insights and the knowledge to be able to shift maybe well, I think their that's approach. such a key point and i think Let's demystify culture. Culture is not complex. Culture is ending the sentence around here. Around here, meetings are. Around here, email is. Around here, showing you initiative is. Around here, customer centricity is. I mean, it's wonderful work from Roger Collins in the, in the book, you know, change the culture, change the game. We over-engineer. What that means is that what we're accepting is the normal disciplines in our business are our culture. So we work with managers. We're saying you have to shift and mature your disciplines. I'll give you a practical example here. If a customer says, I'm working with a customer now, we are customer obsessed. Great. 
My next question is, where's the evidence? And they go, what do you mean? I'm saying, well, where's the evidence? And they go, what do you mean? I said, where's the discipline in your business that demonstrates that as an organization, you're customer obsessed? And they go, uh, um, probably our account management. I said, great. Let's look at your account management. Guess what, Phil? Account management is all about the data, all about protecting the company, all about what happens if this account manager leaves. There's nothing to do with customer value. So we educate them in a discipline of maximizing account yield, which shifts the way we manage accounts as managers. So if we want to be customer-centric, we have to know that our account plans are customer-orientated. Our value communication is customer-orientated. Our deal reviews are customer-orientated. right? So you have to establish disciplines that make those values the norm. So people often, I think sometimes, well, they take what you're saying and goes, that sounds great. I know I need these values, but it sounds a bit soft. It's not. It's the way we do things around here and the disciplines we establish. Now, stop saying you're customer-obsessed and show me where you demonstrate that. You know, we're really interested in the development of my people. Mm. Well, that's fascinating because I've just done a white paper for, I think, 1,600 managers. Sales coaching is, is talented by every single business leader. But it's the number one thing we can do to drive sales performance, more than anything. Guess what? First meeting canceled, last metric measured. And I'm going, guys, <laughs> you can't say it's important because there's no evidence. So the engineer in me says, what's the evidence? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the custodian of that execution is the sales manager. And the way I say it is, sales managers lay the tracks of yeah. execution and enablement works on the train. Well, we're so busy working on the train. What's the next trick? What's the, how do we use chat GPT? What's the next technology? What's the next methodology? Mm. There's no tracks laid. So what happens is, and if there are tracks laid, they don't support what we're saying. We're saying we're customer obsessed, but the only conversations we have about the quarterly number, every other conversation gets canceled. But where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, well, I love love your approach. I mean, it's quite quite interesting. Uh, uh, at a recent event, um, uh, I was kind of sharing the insights and the research, and we had uh, some feedback. And they said, well, it's quite interesting, Phil, you did your research, you know, back in 2004 to 2009. I think that's when the dissertation was done. Of course, we've, we've continued. And they've said, yeah, but, you know, things have changed since then. And I said, okay, um, let me go and talk to your customers then. And uh, <laughs> they said, okay, okay, yep, you can go and talk to customers. So, uh, one of the things that I find always surprising is we spend so much time trying to figure out how better to serve customers, but we do very little actually to engage customers in that conversation, you know, by asking them the questions. Um, and we, we, we have this uh, kind of concept. You talk about value earlier on this uh, value values quadrant and, uh, we use this to start to explore, you know, what, you know, how do you perceive value and what you get? But then we ask them, how do you perceive the values that are being demonstrated? And then we, we ask questions about what percentage do you think of salespeople sell to the values you really want and, and so on. But it's so, it's so interesting that, of course, you know, they, you know, customers talk about the things that we've been talking about now. They like it, you know, they want, they want the creativity, they want to be challenged, but they want trust, they want relationships, they want you to really study their their business. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how rare it is that people start this cultural shift um, without engaging with uh, the customer, because at the end of the day, it's the customer who, who pays the bills, you know, arguably the most important asset mm. of, of, of any business. 
I think it, it's also interesting. I, what I love, um, what I love hearing stories of great, uh, great success stories is the subtlety of how phrases used between a salesperson and a, and a client can transform kind of relationships. Um, and so when you, when you're looking at, um, coaching and if you're looking as a manager of people that are working in your team and maybe going out on joint calls and visits with them to what extent you know is the manager in tune with the values and in tune with some of the subtle things that are said at meetings that can open or close opportunities you know so so this is where where I think it gets really really interesting and I remember having this conversation with a major account manager um and he used this phrase in the conversation, which is let's go on the fun bus together. Yeah. Now, where where is that written about in a textbook in sales of a closing technique? Yeah. Um, and uh, but that phrase summed up so much of the preparation that went into the call, like you say, the the kind of being in tune with the character and the personality of the people who are selling to. Um, and it kind of summed everything up. And for me, the whole conversation changed at the point that he felt it, it confident enough to use that phrase. Yeah, let's go on the fun bus together. And uh, it completely transformed uh, the the uh, the relationship. Uh, you know, the 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 solution was agreed to. He said, "Yeah, let's go on this fun bus together." You know, it's fun. It's exciting. You know. And the fun bus was nothing to do with the product and services that the client sold. It was to do with uh, working together on an early careers pathway initiative between the two companies, uh, trying to attract diverse talent. It's got nothing to do with the engineering solutions that this company was involved in, but it had everything to do with culture. It had everything to do with innovation. It had everything to do with tact. And, uh, you know, the sales went from something like 14 million a year up to 22 million or something within two years. But it was that cultural alignment. And, it, it, you know, if a manager is with, you know, if the manager doesn't really get this values-based approach, then they're not going to be able to coach so well, you know, the opportunity. So that's why I think with your focus on coaching it and management, I'm so interested to hear how you're also taking things yeah, on to the, the next level. That I just want to share with the audience. I mean, just speaking to what you said that's so important is they don't necessarily know how to do that. And and sometimes knowing what to do and knowing how to do it aren't the same. And then the organizational norms become the way we do things. And then we're wondering why it doesn't make sense. I can't think of a human I would speak to that wouldn't buy into your research and go, that makes sense. But making sense and making it a discipline of the shift. What we tend to see in coaching is we're still doing auditing. We're not actually coaching. We're going, hey, by the way, this is your goal. This is where you really are. This is the opportunity to close that gap, and these are the actions you're going to take. That doesn't figure out the how. That doesn't coach a behavior or support. And something you touched on now that's so critical, and for any of the readers on the call, but you know, the whole concept of psychological safety is becoming a very important thing in all work environments. And when we think about it in mm. sales is I can only say, let's get on the fun bus together if I have psychological safety around that comment, that it's something that everything around me is allowed to do. Mm. What is that? It's the conversations we have with our salespeople that are mirrored in the conversations they have with their customers. 
And that's why what we teach sales managers, design your conversation from the sales conversation backwards, not from the organization down. When you speak to a salesperson and coach them in this area, how's it going to influence the sales conversation or the sales behavior? And then figure out what it means to the business. Because what we tend to do is we go, hey, you know what? We need greater penetration into this account. And then what I say to the salesperson is, how are we going to go about getting greater penetration into the account? And they're going, I don't know. Well, would it be good if we spoke to more people? And, and, and it becomes this logic bomb. It's not how we operate. When you think about the conversation, what specifically in your client's business are they struggling with right now that you think there could be an opportunity for us to assist them? That's a completely different question. It's the same question, but it has a different cultural intent. Mm. And it's the conversations that shape the culture. And that's why it's so critical. And why we work with sales managers is unless you change that conversation, strategic intent and frontline execution don't happen. They break apart regardless of the methodologies and technologies. We have to get that conversation right around the values that you teach for. Mm. I mean, it's, um, it's it, you mentioned sort of culture so many times, and I, I agree it's such a, a, an important word in this. Um, but sometimes organizations simply are so quarterly driven, you know, it's so numbers driven that it's very difficult for someone even knowing that they want to adopt uh, a different approach to management, leadership and sales to get out of that, to break that sort of routineness of focused on lagging indicators not le leading indicators so when you when you kind of do your work with clients then to what extent do you kind of examine or explore you know um the the the, the, the sort of yeah politics of the organization and the the fact that you know use this analogy of, of, of fish flowing against the current you know earlier on you know you have to fight sometimes to get things done. And sometimes it's so damn difficult to get things done because of the way mm. organizations work. I love that you share that. So I, how, do you, I, I, how do you figure that out? Well, I, I don't know if there's that. an answer so we to We do it, something but, called an executive yeah. alignment session. And that's probably the place we have to be the most tactful because it's, it's my moment to get on my soapbox. And effectively, I'd, I ask them, three, I say, this is business is simple. You have to increase the perception of value by reducing your cost to deliver that value and having focused resources. Let me ask you where your lines are going. Perception of value, up, down, or, or, or flat? And they answer. Cost to deliver that value, up, down, or flat? And they answer that. And I said resource focus, very customer focused or internally focused? And I draw that arrow. And it's as, as clear as down a page. And I said, okay, if you continue down this trajectory, what, what does your business look like? And they go, no, we're going to eroding margins, struggling to get market penetration. I said, okay. Do you agree that's hard? And they go, no, that's hard. It's okay. How hard do you think it is to change the organizational culture in your business now? They go, that's hard. And I say these words, Phil. I say, choose your heart. Choose your heart. Because, mm. I, I, I mean, for me personally, I'm saying this to you, but I know you can probably feel this sometimes as well. It's like a, a frustration when I grab them and, and, and shake them around a bit and say, look at the data, look at the research, and then understand the logic. The logic's there. We know this. We know that we take it ready. But we quarterly do We have these numbers. So that's great. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. They're not separate things. So how do we start moving this in the right direction? And what organizations, good organizations, good leaders do is they figure out the movement of that dial over time. You don't flick a switch and this just changes. And that's why, I mean, our, our management program runs for a year. We do coaching, we do support, we do executive alignment because we're trying to move a lot of things. But what I believe mm. is sometimes void of even organizational buy-in. 
we've got to change the people on the ground to be operating a different way. And if we change those key disciplines, that starts to bubble up. And that's what we tend to see. So it's not easy, but mm. I'll, I'll say once again, it's negligent to take take the easy one and go, well, you know, it's a tough one, so let's go down this road. It's easy now, but it's going to be hard. And most organizations are aware of this. It's just there's an enablement yeah. refresh required that says, I mean, that's why, you know, your book, Selling Transform, you've got to transform this thing. And it's not just let's fix the salesperson. They know what they're doing. Their values suck. It's not what we're saying. We're saying organizationally transform your business to be values oriented, execution discipline led, and then value will become what we, we deliver to the customers. We never have to say the words we're customer centric. It's it's in the air. It's deep in, in, in our culture. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it's really interesting, and uh, and yeah, we have to f kind of figure out a way. I think of of getting this uh, this approach accepted, and it would be wonderful if the academic community backed it up. Obviously, people like yourself working in the same profession is a huge is huge help. Actually, mm -hmm. you know, it's not me talking about it; it's you talking about it. You know, it's you know, you've had uh, direct experience and uh, clearly a huge amount of experience uh, and knowledge in, 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 in the sector. Um, but, you know, sometimes you've just got to be persistent. Like you said, you've got to follow what you believe to be right. And, you know, time, time will, you know, get the shift in the way that we sell. But we are making some, uh, I think, in, in, certainly in the UK market, some amazing inroads we've been helped by the government initiatives here around setting up sales apprenticeships the the undergraduate programs that we're now running in sales and the postgraduate programs where you know bringing that sort of academic research-based um kind of approach what, what i love about the um the leadership programs is the fact that it's not it, it, it the research is practitioner based you know it's not uh it's not someone out there it's you know taking yeah. taking people who are managing teams and actually seeing them figure out you know new ways of doing things and it, it just adds so much more authenticity back to your word in 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 what they're doing and we, we you know we've got some amazing uh amazing transformations that we, we we've been able um to to to, to kind of have seen but it's still in the great scheme of things it's a little tiny drop in the ocean <laughs> you know, yeah. we're right at the beginning of a journey but if i can add so, that, um, and i think it's um, important but, that i mention this there's there's a wonderful book i read called the gap gap versus the gain and our tendency and i know you and i are very similar like yeah. this because we research we orientate is we get very focused on the gap in front of us i think you must never undermine what you've done for the profession of selling you and consolia have been a phenomenal um, contribution to the fact that this needs to be a profession and there's a lot of like-minded people like uh, like us out there. The groundswell is starting to move in the right direction. We started to do those right things. And it's like anything. It's, right. it's got to start with someone swimming in the other direction. And I think you start to see that happening. But what yeah. I really appreciate about your approach is the, the academic angle on it is not an or angle. It's an and angle. Understand the academia and understand the and practical that, application yeah. of that. Because this is a profession. And it's been mm. it's been ignored. And I, I put it bluntly. Fire all the salespeople mm. and turn off the economies of the world, right? We're not some, you know, wolf of Wall Street. We're out there creating value for our customers, create value for markets to solve solutions to people's problems. And we got to stop hiding behind that. And that's why I love the approach of it's research orientated, it has an academic alignment, but then we've got to get to the practical side. The only thing I'll say with the academic is sometimes we hold on to a truth too long 
which is if the research is very clear that the biggest way to shift behavior is to shift thinking, well, then let's make sure that our teaching shifts thinking um, and not merely and behavior. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's so interesting. One of the um, academics that really influenced me when I was doing my, my research was Howard Gardner, who wrote this uh, book. It's, it's not right, right up there on the top read list, I don't think. It's Five Minds for the Future. And, uh, you know, written maybe 15 years ago, he's a professor at Harvard. And um, and uh, it was all about, it's not about knowledge, it's it's about mastery and it's uh, it's about discipline and it's about ethics. You know, he defined these five different kind of mindsets and saying that these will govern the way we develop our skills, our curiosity and, and, and all these uh uh, the, these are the principles, and I, th- I think that um, for me, he was a huge influence in rethinking. You know, what's the operating system do we need in sales, on which you have mm-hmm. these applications of skills and you know storytelling ability and all those other things that need to sit on top of it. But let's let's really rethink the operating system, and I think that's what we're kind of doing with this. Uh, kind of focus on on values but alan as you were talking and sharing this story i just wonder whether at some point you feel you could join us again on the podcast maybe with your client to talk about the yeah. transformational shift going on um but i mean you know it may be too early at this stage but it would be really interesting to sort of have that connection um so so i'll leave you with uh maybe that that thought i th- i think that that would be um yeah that that would be fantastic if we could uh uh sort of see the results and i i the, the other reason why i'm really interested about your clients is it's in a sector which in the UK is not allowed to use the word sales, you know, uh, simply not because of some of the uh, mis-selling scandals that have gone on in the in the UK sector. And I've, um, you know, funnily enough, we haven't yet started working with people in that sector in the UK because they're so worried about being associated with a sales business school. You know, it's in our brand, you know, very clearly. Um, but I just know, just like you, you know, you've you've discovered here that the values approach is absolutely, absolutely relevant yeah. for this sector. If the values are right, then the sales will follow. We just know that that, well, so that will happen. So I'm convinced it's going to lead to the back of us. broken values. You know, the, and that's the key thing. So if yeah, any sector is. really needs this approach, it's in that space. Because even <laughs> though you're not allowed to use the word sales or selling, I guarantee you there are people with targets, people that will get fired or hired for not achieving those targets. So it's still happening. The point is, it's because the bad rep, and the bad rep comes from a, a baseline flow in values, not in methodology, not in behavior. Yeah. It's a flow in values. And when you take a values-led approach, you yeah. you see that fundamental shift of selling won't help, but helping will help. Okay. Well, I think you've that's a great way to finish. I think what's been a fantastic interview, and Alan, I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, 
you're reaching out in the way that you've done. And uh, yeah, it would be wonderful at some future stage, you can come back and maybe share what your experiences have been. We'll do. Uh, I'll reach out to my customers. Thank you very much, Alan. I get them on board.